Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me in studio today is David Donaldson, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and our special guest and good friend, Alice Wellens, who's a licensed clinical social worker in a private practice here in Atlanta. We're so happy to have you both with us today. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Susan. Very glad to be here. Thank you for having me back. Oh, so glad to have you. It's um, it's wonderful to have you. And I think our topic today hopefully will be very interesting to our listeners because this is probably one of the most helpful and healing parts of recovery work, which is doing the family therapy or the couples therapy. But it's also one of the most challenging and the timing, the how-tos, the when-tos are the big questions. So I'm really glad we're going to address this topic today. So thank you. Great. It's going to be a very uh, juicy and lively conversation, (laughs) as the work typically is as well. So um, before we get too far into the program, I would like to ask all of our listeners to have a pencil and paper ready, or you can have a pen if you would like, either one. Uh, I'm going to give you information about Alice's program and how you can contact her and learn more about the work that she does. But you can reach her if you've got that pen and paper with you now at alicewellens.com. That's A-L-Y-C-E. Her last name is W-E-L-L-O-N-S, and that's alicewellens.com. And her phone number, if you're interested, is area code 404-664-3110. 404-664-3110. So we'll make reference to that again uh, in the next section, but I would like to make sure that people have your contact info. So, families, couples. Couples. Where should we start? Um, I was pretty instrumental in having this be our discussion today because from from my perspective, um, we tend to be working with families at the, the very beginning of the process. Um, often first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. First point of contact. Real often. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and so a lot of the work we're doing is is helping them survive the um, the early period of recovery. And they've been in a survival mode for a long time anyway, where they've been focused on their loved one and trying to fix their loved one and trying to find what's going to save their loved one's life. And now they're coming into family group and they're getting education about the disease of addiction and about lear- learning to live with somebody in early recovery. And But they're also being told it's a little bit too early for family therapy. We have to have, you know, two adults before we can work on, you know, a marriage. And we have to have people who can manage a little bit of stress without relapsing before we can do too much. Um but there's there's always that question of when when can we start doing something what should we do and since you are one of the the go to of choice when we're talking about about couples I thought that would be great for us to have you on here and talk about that process of when you start integrating therapy um, beyond just survival right, into right. the recovery process yes that's that's always such a good question and conversation so do we want to start with couples piece then? Yes. Okay. And with the beginning. Um, So generally, as David introduced, it's usually the family member. It's the spouse. It's the parent. It's the child of the person with the disease of addiction who's first reaching out and seeking help. And they're often scared, mad, 
frustrated, they don't know what to do. So if you're speaking with a, a spouse or a loved one of someone who has the disease of addiction and they're wanting to do, how do you help them manage that and what kind of direction might you give them as they're waiting for their loved one to catch up to being more ready to do some work? Are we are we assuming that the loved one's in treatment at this time? No. Okay. So we are okay. This is before they have said, yes, I agree, I'm going to walk through that door. Right. Um, well, it, that is such an awful time it for is. a family and a marriage. It is in a relationship. It is just, it's really tragic because um, if we really want to start at the beginning, you know I'm going to have to start back at attachment. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> So when when a couple comes together, if they come together because they love each other, and couples come together for all types of reasons, sometimes they're contractual, but oftentimes it's love, that, you know, what happens during that bonding phase is very similar to what happens to a mother and infant bonding mm-hmm. phase in the sense that those same neurochemicals can be in play, and there's a sense when somebody falls in love and then commits of safety and survival gets all wired up together Mm -hmm. through that love process. So when that person that you love, even though it's your partner, it's wired in those same areas that are around survival um, and survival of the species. So when when this person sees their partner disconnecting and falling into the spiral of the disease of addiction it it feels like a not only an emotional death but to them it's this very literal Mm -hmm. death they are they feel like they are um you know fighting for their life too they're fighting for their partner's life but they also feel like they're kind of fighting for their own life so these reactions and then so when you have a parent child i mean it's you know even more primitive so the reactions you see and the intensity that you see is so great because it's wired up in these same areas. And that can be, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot coming at you. That's a lot in the room. It's a lot to deal with, especially when the bottom, bottom line answer that we have to give people is really there's nothing you can do right. until they come to it. Now, we can plant seeds, we can put education, we can put resources, we can have consequences, boundaries, but the fantasy that there's an answer, you know, is just that, a fantasy. So I try to, just as the therapist, sit with all of that knowledge when that person is with me Mm -hmm. because I need to understand really where they're coming from at this moment and what, what they need. So the first thing I do is try to start educating people and helping them get a support system and helping them start to regulate themselves. Um, and that can take, you know, anywhere from a couple of sessions to, to years to get them to do that because oftentimes partners and family members are also from families of alcoholism and addiction. And so they have been living like this for a very, very long time. Maybe their whole life. Maybe their whole life, which means their central nervous system has been wired this way from birth, from conception. 
So, you know, we're not just dealing with how do you get somebody sober. We're dealing with a very, very complex problem that has lots of moving parts that are wired up in our most basic primitive forms of survival. And we're dealing with a, a disease that tells you you don't have a disease and resists treatment. I think we've chosen the wrong profession. (laughs) (laughs) Listening to you talk about that real often from the patient's perspective when they're finally in in a group or or with me talking, they're so focused on the actions that their family member took. And they'll say, my mom is crazy. She is always jumping in and trying to fix everything, whether it's broken or not. She's always meddling. She's always asking the wrong questions. You know, they're very focused on all of the different control attempts that the the family members have made to try and to fix them. Um, And and part of my work with the patients is normalizing that these are what desperate people do when they see someone they love um, crashing. Right. I imagine from your perspective, if you have that family member showing up, that they're somebody who's set many, many boundaries and watched those boundaries just get tromped over and, and their no has really gone away. Their ability to, to have their own space has been really worn down. So they're, they are pretty beat up when they come to you. They're beat up. They're, they're desperate. They're sad. You know, they, they love this person and they want this person to be okay and they want, they want that relationship back. And so, and all that gets tied up with attempts to control the person and their whereabouts and their money and their phone and all of that stuff. But, you know, it's based out of a good place. It's based out of a true desire to want the other person to be okay. It, It can have a couple of twists and turns in there, but most of the time it's in a good place. So a lot of it is just helping the the family member try to start to stabilize themselves and see what what their life has been like or even just what's going on right now and start to give them just some small places around stabilizing. And sometimes that can take the tact of, are you showering and eating? You know, are mm-hmm. you going to work on time? Are you... And this is to the family. This is to the family. This is to the person with the disease of addiction who probably isn't doing those things either. That's right. Are you brushing your teeth? Are you going to the grocery store? Are you going to your yearly physical? You know, are you washing your hair? I mean, oftentimes it can be that basic. And to get them to start to stabilize and ground from wherever, whatever place they are, you know, the number one rule of social work is meet the client where they are. So find out where they are, meet them there. And then start educating, stabilizing, and really starting to help them get a support system because there's so much shame around this disease, as we know. People don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hurt their kids' chances of succeeding or their partner's uh, work reputation or whatever it could be. Um, so helping them find some support and education and stabilization. And that's really where where I start because I know in my mind I have all the resources they're going to need when that moment comes that they're going to need it. I just call Dr. Susan Blank (laughs) at Atlanta Healing Center and then hand everybody over there. (laughs) Um, But but starting at that education, stabilization, and support. Because you're right, the secrets around this disease 
um, kill not only the patient, because we talk about that quite often, your secrets will kill you, but kill the family members too because of the shame, the guilt, the trying to keep up the facade of we're perfect and we're normal takes a toll on the spouse or the loved one because they aren't going to be talking to their friends or reaching out to their minister or maybe even talking to their primary care physician because they want to keep that secret. They they want to hope that it's just going to get better. And mm-hmm. so they're not asking for their own needs to be met. And they're pretending to the people around them that everything is okay. So even their normal sources of support and understanding are not there and available to them. Well, it's not that they're not available. The person has not reached out to ask because they don't know what this is that's happening to their loved one. They're angry about it. They're embarrassed about it. They're fearful. And so they cut themselves off. As isolated as the person with addiction becomes because their only relationship is getting that drug, the only relationship eventually that the spouse has primarily is trying to manage this spouse, this child, this parent who is out of control with addiction, and they let go of their normal network of support and help. Right, and so when we talk about addiction being a family disease, which is an old phrase, a lot of times family members have a hard time seeing how the disease manifests itself in them, mm-hmm. and that is one of the ways that the disease manifests itself within them is through shame and isolation. So it, the disease wants to keep the patient, identified patient, um, full of shame and isolated, but the disease wants to keep the family full of shame and isolated as well. So that is that is the disease manifesting itself in both parties. Um, you know, the, the disease is, is a divide-and-conquer beast, and it wants everybody in separate corners feeling disconnected and separated and hopeless. And that's exactly what happens. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll talk more about the next stages of recovery and how family therapy and couples therapy can help. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, 
You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me is David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and our special guest, Alice Wellens, from her private practice here, alicewellens.com. That's A-L-Y-C-E-W-E-L-L-O-N-S dot com. And her phone number is area code 404 664 404-664-3110. You can learn more about her practice, about her background, and also the services that she offers. She's an excellent individual, couples, family therapist. She does great groups, as well as helping a, an individual learn how to use skills like meditation and yoga to self-soothe and to help them regulate their own discomfort so that they are better able to deal with their world and their family. So lots of great skills and lots of great options, so please check out her website. Right before the break, we were talking about the situation that we usually find ourselves in, where the family member has finally reached out and said, we need some help. The loved one is often at that first initial point very limited in their willingness, the person with the disease of addiction, they're not quite ready. But And we talked about some of the ways we have to help the family member be okay till the miracle begins to happen. Then we get to the stage, and David, I think you see this quite often, where the, fam- the individual with the disease of addiction who's actively using drugs and alcohol is finally willing and says, okay, I'll, I'll do something. Things are getting bad. How, how does this present itself, and how does the family help manage this? I actually honestly zoned out in the midst of that question, um, thinking about that family member who's, who's there and, and really wanting to, to get their family member into some help. And, and some of the seeds that we plant are, are helping them mm-hmm. stop doing some of the behaviors that are allowing the disease to progress, um, paying bills, um, lying for them with bosses or with family members, and, and so getting them to back off a little bit on that. And so they've gotten to this place where they're ready to come in to, to get some help. And, and I think some pre-education for a family member of what is going to happen at that, at that point. Um, real often patients are very angry, and they don't want to sign any release of information. They don't want any family involvement, and they're just wanting to fix this problem. Um, and so they can really be closing doors to family members, and you're at a point where family members are are 
coming to you and saying, okay, I've done this and now I'm closed out. What do I do? Mm-hmm. What do they do? Right. So I want to I want to respond to that, but I'm I was wanted to go back and say it's I wish it was that a family member would come to the addict would come to their family and say, "Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready, ready now." <laughs> that would be so lovely for everybody involved. It, it's usually from a pretty rough um dramatic time. Um Usually there's a crisis. Usually usually there's a crisis. And that's one of the things that I really work with family members on is, you know, once we do some of that education and stabilizing and helping them get support, then I start to talk to them about something is going to happen. And when that happens, we have a window of opportunity. And we need to be stabilized and prepared so you can be present and interactive in that window of opportunity, not reactive, because that's not going to harness that time, Um, although it's going to be very easy to be reactive because there's a lot of I told you so and I tried to prevent this from coming and it came anyway, and it's just the process of how it unfolds, as we know. So that's another thing that I really work with family members on is to be ready for that time and we talk about what are the things you want to happen during that time mm-hmm. and then start to have your resources available to you. And oftentimes I'll tell them to call David or Michael and get information about the treatment center, get information about insurance, get all that information together. So when that window of time opens up, you're ready with mm-hmm. a plan because you only have a small window of time right. before everything starts to get better. So. That's kind of what I was thinking as well. That's also what's going mm-hmm. on with the family. Right. I mean, that's, that is a really great suggestion because so often the crisis happens and they haven't Nobody's done anything ready. like that. And what they actually experience is a lot of doors that keep shutting in their face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've been living with addiction. They've been trying to get help for a long time. A crisis happens, and they'll take their loved one to, to um, some facility, and they'll get a message that, well, we're sorry you're in this place, but we don't treat that particular type of addiction. Or because that addiction's not life-threatening, we're not going to be able to help you here. You need a different level of care. Right. Just stay sober for three days, and then you can come be in our outpatient program. If they could stay sober for three days, they wouldn't be here having this conversation. (laughs) Right. And it also helps the the family (coughs) member and hopefully the system start to disconnect from being in constant crisis all the time. So it helps it helps them start to stabilize their own life in in a lot of ways knowing okay I am doing something now. This cri- the, this addict is still the disease is still progressing but I am working on a plan and I am working on where I can be you know ready when something happens because when you tell when I tell the families you know, once we can get to that place, you know, something's going to happen. You know how that, you know that phrase, you know the truth when you hear it. They, they know that that's coming. And so this gives them a way to be a part of the process that feels like they can actually be helpful. So that's a lot of what we work on as well. And, you know, oftentimes windows will open and close, but as long as the family keeps preparing themselves, they can be ready for the next one. And I think that you're helping them to understand that they really can't fix this. They can't do it. They can't control it. They didn't cause it. All of the things that we learn in Al-Anon about the disease 
really important because our hope is always that when the shoe, the other shoe falls, when there's the car accident or someone gets arrested or they get fired or unfortunately it's one of these or many other rather negative, horrific kinds of situations that that person is finally ready to say, this isn't working, I need to do something else. Mm-hmm. And if... As you say, they're, the pe- family member is not being reactive. They're not angry now or mm-hmm. so fearful now. But now they know, okay, this is my chance mm-hmm. and here's my plan. And now that you're saying that you'll at least consider doing something, let's do this and let's take it to this next step. It's, um, it's very helpful. But it's also helpful that if... An, Heaven forbid, knock on wood, I'm not putting this out to the universe for anybody, please. But if something bad happens, the family members also have some knowledge, at least, that they were doing all that they could, that they themselves had put themselves in a place of preparation and that it wasn't their fault. That's right. And and I tell family members all the time, if you could have stop this or you know fix this you already would have right. so we're beyond that you know so let's now look at what we can do you know which is wait and be prepared and stabilize and educate and get support for you so that's kind of what's happening you know while the disease is progressing helping the couple or the family have a role um, and starting their own recovery in that process um, but you posed a pretty interesting question do you want to say the question again or are we off somewhere else (laughs) refresh me on that question (laughs) um well i don't really remember the exact question how about it was um when the fan when the individual comes into treatment and their initial thought is i'm mad at my family i hate all these people i hate all of you too the treatment team and i don't want my family involved i'm not signing the release i'm not giving consent for you to talk to them or have them part of the um have them part of the work that we're going to do here that's very concerning disappointing frightening all of the things to the family members because here again is this disease isolating them from their loved one and them the family members from what they see as maybe a source of treatment well i like your response to that when you were introducing this topic on the second section which was um you know let us help you navigate that with your family Um, because and and that's really helpful in just calming everybody down and and it's the beginnings of letting the treatment center start to take a role in this system Mm -hmm. because this system has been functioning however good or bad healthy or not healthy by itself for a long time so now it's really sending this message to the system there's another person in the si- there's another entity in the system now and now it's going to have to come in and all create some homeostasis together so you all sending a message to the client okay we're going to step in and help you navigate that with your family you don't have to do that by yourself and stepping in with to the family and saying you all don't have to be managing this disease by yourself anymore there's now another entity in place that's going to help you start to manage this disease and hopefully help everybody go back to to their own roles to being 
the kids to being the partners to enjoying family life from that place instead of everybody fighting this addiction. So it's nice that the treatment center has the ability to step in and do that. I also see the opposite of that, which is the situation where the the patient really wants the family to be involved and the family is so mad and so over it, they say, you just fix them and we'll see you later. We're going to talk about that after the break, so please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me today is my special guest, Alice Wellens, from her private practice here in Atlanta. Thank you so much, Alice, for being here. And we'd like you all to check out her website at www.alicewellens.com, A-L-Y-C-E-W-E-L-L-O-N-S.com. And the phone number is 404 664 3113, excuse me, 3110. I'm dyslexic. Let me do that again. 404 664 3110. Did I do that right? Perfection. Thank you. Well, not the first part, but the second part, hopefully. So, right before the break, we were talking about the situation when the individual comes into treatment and The first one is they don't want their family to be involved. The second one is they want their family to be involved, and the family says, 
No, this is their problem. We've been dealing with this for umpteen years. I'm not doing this anymore. You fix them. I'm not coming to family meetings. I'm not doing family work. I'm not doing any of that. Send him back when he's ready. Well, you know, just like we're telling the family that they have to start engaging in their own recovery and be educated and stabilize and get support and wait for their family member, we have to tell the identified patient the same thing. Your family may not be ready, Mm -hmm. um, but you are, and so you need to just focus on your work and, you know, let the treatment center see if they can kind of help educate the uh, family and bring them in and help, help them kind of feel safer and more comfortable. But sometimes the family's recovery doesn't come for a very long time or ever. Um, and that's that's part of the process that the patient has to start to navigate. And that I, they have to stay sober anyway. I actually talk to the patients quite often about how the family member's recovery is at least two months behind yours. Um, because while you're in this initial recovery process... They are watching you to see that you are actually beginning to make these changes and you are actually not using. And although that's providing some accountability, it's still keeping them engaged in fixing you rather than fixing themselves, which is a comfortable place for them. Yeah. Um, they want to stay there. And so they're making those changes and realizing they have to, to back up and stop look, start looking at themselves is typically two, three months down the road. Yeah. And change in, in trust is change in behavior over time, and time takes time. And so it depends on so many factors, what the family's own history is, how much damage was done, um, over how long the addiction progressed, which is all going to influence what the family's own trajectory of recovery is going to be and that's where family therapy or couples therapy can really come in and hold that space so I'll, I'll do that a lot in my practice I'll see a couple and the, the uh, identified patient the addict and alcoholic may be getting clean and sober or maybe have has been clean and sober for six eight months or maybe even a year but the family is still you know having their own hesitancy in starting that reconnection process, that trust Mm -hmm. process, that vulnerability around intimacy and feelings and reconnection because they want to reconnect, but they have to feel safe. So then that just becomes the conversation. It's not do it. It's, well, let's just talk about what feeling safe feels like and what, how do you know when you're feeling safe what behaviorally do you need to start seeing to start to feel safe and giving the patient a chance to start creating some of the that environment for safety for their family which can help the the patient feel really good like i can do something positive i can do something healing for these other people so and that can take time and a lot of times i'll also tell the family member that they might call me the patient in recovery might call a year, 18 months, or two years later and say, everything's going great, our lives are back on track, and my wife or my husband or my partner has completely fallen apart out of the blue. I don't even know what's happened. What does this mean? <laughs> and I always say, that's good news. Mm-hmm. It means they have let go of resisting, um, defending themselves against 
protection, their defenses, and now they're ready to start their own recovery. It's it's their bottom. They feel safe. You have done something good that has now made them feel safe enough to start to let go. So a whole other chapter of healing can begin. So, you know, time takes time. I imagine what a scary thought that is for the family member who has spent the last several years watching and waiting and trying to fix and, and, and being told by us you have to take care of yourself while you wait for this to happen. So they're, they're, they're used to waiting for the next shoe to drop, and now they're hearing, you're going to crash and burn, and you're going to hit <laughs> your own bottom, and and we'll tell your loved one that you're doing great. <laughs> and you're going to have to look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Because how threatening those questions are. Did you brush your teeth this morning? Yeah. Have you had your yearly physical right most of them the answer is what's a yearly physical (laughs) right we've been living in in chaos and crisis for so long and that you know that's not even on the table and and i think the disease robs the family from the ability to have the space to do their own work have their own growth their own emotional experiences their own processes so they have lost a lot of the a lot of time and a lot of emotional capacity to deal with these types of things and so now they are kind of it's like when your foot goes to sleep and it starts to wake up you know it feels like a thousand little thumbtacks in there that's what the family feels like when they start to wake up and so it's this sense of oh my gosh this is painful you know it really hurts and there's a lot now i have to look at and kind of learn to re reuse um, and a lot of times it's, you know, they don't want to look at themselves. It's been very easy to look at the patient for a long time. And the balance of power. I know you've talked a lot of <coughs> in our um, time together before about the homeostasis. Mm-hmm. The relationship has been with the person in active addiction. The loved one has been managing everything. They've been paying the bills. They've been sometimes earning the living, sometimes taking care of all the kids and all of the social things and doing all the, I'm in air quotes here, people, uh, all of the work. Right. So they've had total control, the loved one, and the person with addiction has been being in their addiction. Now as the person with addiction wakes up, begins to take responsibility for their life and their choices, trying to make amends, trying to take back some of their power and say, okay, I can do this now, and I can be this person in the family again, that is often destabilizing for the loved one who is not so sure they want to trust to give the power back. And this back and forth, the person... The loved one doesn't realize how controlling they've been, that their own need is to be completely in charge, and that I need to look at myself and how I act like that and what that means to me. It's very threatening because they feel like they've done such a good job, and in many ways they have, but they haven't realized that's pathological. And as the balance of power begins to shift again, very hard for the family. Yeah, I cannot tell you how many hours of conversations that I've had around that systems theory, you know, philosophy around um, create, keep, 
kind of the rebalance of homeostasis in the family system. So when we look at it from a theoretical standpoint, that's what we're doing. But when we're looking at it in the nitty-gritty standpoint, it comes in the content form of, okay, if you were going to let him pay two bills, you know, which two bills would that be? And how do you need, what kind of safety net do you need around that? Okay, if you were going to let him pick up the kids from school, what day of the week would that, you know, it comes in really this, this these very nitty-gritty conversations of reestablishing roles. And then it comes into an updated conversation on what is everybody's idea of what the partnership looks like. You know, what is your idea of being a good partner? What is your idea of the distribution of duties in the house and how we how you see money in raising kids? Because a lot of times this disease, you know, it doesn't just go on for a couple months. It goes on for years. And so there's a lot of developmental phases that just mm-hmm. get skipped over. And a lot of conversations that get skipped over in these pathological roles get developed because the disease forces everybody into that. So... But, and these are the edu- this is the education that we're giving that mm-hmm. you know this is coming. Mm-hmm. It's too early for for right. you to put all that trust back in. That it takes time to earn trust, as you said. Um, but there is going to come a time if this relationship is going to work out that the the um, roles get redefined and you begin to rely on each other and be able to be vulnerable and intimate with each other. Um, but that's that's happening more at your path in the game because. They generally are moving beyond right. um, our role with them at that point in time. Yeah, and that and can take years. a long time. I was that about to say years. that can be years, and it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of what feels like very tedious ground you're covering. But as long as you always, I always try to frame it back into all these conversations are around creating a sense of safety and trust and identity, and those are the mo- that's the most important work we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, Safety with vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Right. Safety with vulnerability. And understanding this is maybe a more intense situation when you have the disease of addiction. But this is not uncommon if someone in the family has a medical condition, develops a cancer, breaks mm-hmm. a leg, that the family will shift, the family will accommodate. And that's what families are for, to help pick up the load and to to share and do the things that need to be done, the family work or the couple's work that needs to be done. But as that person heals, as they can now walk with a cane and now they can drive the car again, how do you shift back? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, more exaggerated and more lengthy with a person with addiction. But I think people can begin to appreciate that this happens all the time in all kinds of relationships and situations. And it's a healthy thing that we can shift and that we can shift back. But we have to be aware of it and we have to be safe and vulnerable at the same time. It's a very interesting, delicate balance trying to do this dance. And people often, the tendency is to want to do it way too fast. Way too fast because the family also feels like it's been holding on for so long to get their family member back. Right. And so they have these needs. And if you just pull that little, you know, peak in the lid it's they just come out really really fast and it can be really overwhelming to everybody the family also has 
sometimes this fantasy that once their loved ones get clean and sober, they're going to be this perfect person. Right. And so it's also managing expectations around what this person is really going to look like in recovery and who they're going to really be. And who you see in the first six months is not who you're going to see in, in 12 months, 18 months, or 24 months. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about integrating family therapy and couples therapy in the recovery process. So thanks for listening. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. And today in studio, I have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and Alice Wellens from her private practice here in Atlanta. AliceWellens.com. Alice is a licensed um, clinical social worker and does individual couples, family work, as well as groups and some wonderful interventions involving yoga and meditation, mindfulness therapies that are very helpful for folks and something that you really should check out at her website at www.alicewellens.com or you can reach her by phone at area code 404-664-3110. 404-664-3110. So, right before the break, we were talking about that when we get to the place of doing the really reparative couples and family work, that's not 
before the individual gets into recovery from addiction. That's not during the initial stage of recovery and getting into sobriety. That is a later step. Now, there may be couples and family interventions and education, communication skills taught, boundaries taught, helping people to negotiate how we're going to live together. But doing the work that really repairs their their soul, their intimacy, their connectedness is often something that may not happen for some months. That's not to be discouraging. That's to help people understand this process. But when it begins to happen, it's a lovely thing. It is so beautiful when you see two people who really love each other, but this disease has just come between them and disconnected them from for so long and when you see them start to meet up in that space again it is just it's why we keep doing this it is it really I mean is. it really is and one of the things that I do with couples therapy is at the end of each session if if we can you know if we can make the time and space work because a lot can happen in a couple session and it can pop up really quick and get intense really quick um, but if I'm on my game and I can watch the clock and keep everybody a little bit contained, myself included, um, I'll take the last five minutes. And they hate it, but they love it. And so we'll we'll shift the session, which is also helpful to not leave them just having this bad connotation with couples therapy and their marriage or their relationship. And I'll have them take a deep breath and shift the session um, and tell them we've got plenty of time to address all these issues. And then I'll have them turn towards each other, and I'll say, you know, first of all, turning towards each other and making eye contact. Because when you make eye contact and have a little half smile at your lips with somebody you love, you immediately relax. Mm -hmm. You immediately shift into your parasympathetic nervous system. And if they want to hold hands, if they feel safe enough to do that or put a hand on the knee, they do that. Half do, half don't. And then I walk them through this exercise, and I have them each say three things that they're grateful for in their relationship. Um, one can be a general thing. I'm grateful for that you're a good mother. I'm grateful you you know, bring a nice income in. But the two have to be specific because when we hear that we've done something good, what happens? We smile. We smile, and we want to do it again. Mm-hmm. We like praise. We're, we're wired. We're mm-hmm. suckers for praise. So I'll have them say three things they're grateful for and be very specific because those are those things we were talking about in the last segment around. It's behaviors that you're looking for every day that start to create that trust. Um, So they'll say something like, I'm grateful you're a good mother. Um, I'm grateful you brought me coffee this morning. And I'm grateful that you um, took the dogs out last night before bed. It's the little things. It's the little things. And then I'll have them say one thing that they heard the other person say in the session today, and that will look something like, I heard you say that you want me to share more with you about my recovery program and what I'm learning and hearing and thinking about. And then I'll have them say one thing that they heard themselves say in the session. I heard myself talk more about what it was like for me to grow up with an alcoholic mother and how that plays a role in that. And then the last thing is, is you can see why they resist this, is I have them say one thing that they want to work on between now and the next session, small and realistic. Um, And that will look something like, I want to work on... um, 
um, you know, waking up early and doing my meditation before work. So they, and then the other person does it, and then I have them thank each other for engaging in this process. So that kind of lets each of them be heard. It uses the program, the language of the program, gratitude, and it gives them each the feeling of being heard by the other and saying something that they want to work on. So the work continues during the week. It also keeps the work continuing because they know most of the time we're going to do that exercise. So they're thinking about what they're going to say during the week. And that keeps this work mm-hmm. going because, you know, it's like the gym. You just can't go once. Right. you got to go regularly and you got to watch what you're doing in between each time you go to the gym too. So but The other part that I love about that is that after they go through that list of things that you make them do, the next thing you make them do is listen to their partner. Yeah. And so much of what both addicts and, and family members have lost is the skill to be able to listen. They're, right. they're trying to fix. They're trying to escape. They're trying to change. Respond. Respond. <laughs> assuming, assuming. Yeah. But not actually listening and actually hearing and understanding their partner. Yeah. And it's it's kind of sneaky on my part because – it helps them to listen because they know they're getting ready to hear something positive about themselves. And it's also nice to say something positive mm-hmm. to the other person that has been your enemy in this addiction all these years. So they hate it, but they love it. And it's a really, it's a really powerful um, exercise. And, and when you just can feel the energy shifting in the room, and I'll say to them, you know, and I, I use a lot of humor in, in my therapy when appropriate um and i'll say to them if you would do this once or twice during the week you know you won't have to do it every time when you're here and we just laugh about that but it plants the seeds that this these are the things you need to be doing at home so it's amazing you know when the miracle starts to happen nobody can describe it and it really can happen and one of the beauties one of the gifts of recovery is this thing we call spirituality. Now, I know that makes everybody get a little woo-woo, but I don't mean it in that way. I mean it in its terms of the awareness and that capacity to love and be loved. When you described in the very beginning, Alice, the effects of falling in love, that's what we're trying to help this couple get back to. Mm-hmm. Not can this marriage be saved in spite of all of the pathology and the horrible things that have happened to them, but knowing what you know today and understanding the lives that you've both lived, would you get married again? Would you fall in love again? Would you commit yourself? And can you allow yourself to have those feelings again? And that is possible through the program of recovery that people can be open to that idea that I'm a worthwhile person, you're a worthwhile person. There is this power greater than both of us that can heal us and can bring us back together. It's a very hopeful thing. And in many respects, not only are they better individuals, Mm-hmm. than they were before this disease affected their lives. But they are a better couple. They are a better family. They are better citizens of their community because they really are listening and present and grateful. And that is um, that is such a gift that they can give to themselves and to each other. Recovery is very powerful. It really is. And, you know, spirituality is a part of 
many recovery programs. And, you know, it's not to be confused with religion. Spirituality is a very individual and felt sense. And that's part of what happens, too, is this awakening to these more felt, positive, um, meaningful parts of ourselves. And the only way to do that is through presence. Mm -hmm. And we can only do that by being present with ourselves first and then others. So sometimes just opening the door for people and starting to name it, we're innately wired for all of this. You know, we're innately wired to love and be loved. Mm -hmm. So if we can just remove the barriers that are preventing that from happening and let couples kind of have those barriers removed and give them some tools, they'll go right towards that connection again in time um, and with safety. And it's really a beautiful thing to watch. You know, it really is. The ones that we can really help connect with 12-step programs and, and we can get them to really commit to coming to the family night, don't walk through treasury that whole time. They're yeah. getting that glimpse of this is this is hopeful and this is fun. And they'll, be, they'll have laughter with the patients. They'll hear laughter. And amongst themselves or with other family members, yeah. they'll have their own laughter. And they know it, they're not together yet, but they can see that happening. So yeah. Hope is a powerful, hope. powerful thing. And I, I want to say one more thing about that, which is, you know, we are resilient beings. We can go through a lot, a, more <laughs> than we know is possible. And, and return back to our basic goodness and our basic health. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to have hope that all that is possible. And that's what these places and these groups offer, you know, a lot of hope. And you've given us a lot of hope today. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.